welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Recreation Beauty, Nadal Stelio. Nadal has always loved magazines and is one of those rare individuals who has always known what she wanted to be, which in this case is a journalist. Despite steadily building a name for herself as one of the country's most influential voices in fashion and beauty media, she didn't enter the industry with a specific niche in mind. Having worked at Girlfriend Magazine as beauty and features editor, Cosmopolitan Magazine as beauty editor, features editor and deputy editor, and as editor of Clio Magazine, she tells me that while she fell into beauty, over time she fell in love with it. Around 14 years ago, Nadal found herself struggling to conceive and elected to switch to natural products in her home and beauty routines. And it was at this time that she discovered there were really no luxury options in the natural perfume space. Still working as a journalist, Nadal placed her idea on the back burner. However, after some years of wearing no perfume at all, she decided it was time to create a solution to her own problem. Recreation Beauty, a natural, vegan and Australian-made fragrance and beauty brand, was launched in 2019, following over two years of product development, and now boasts one of the most innovative sustainability frameworks I've come across, including a world first in moulds made from sustainable bamboo. In this conversation, Nadal shares the ways in which the media landscape has evolved across her nearly three decades in the industry, and perhaps surprisingly, the ways in which it has stayed the same, her advice for those deciding if their startup should launch wholesale or direct-to-consumer, and the advantages of starting a business on your own. You have spent more or less the entirety of your working life in fashion and beauty media, but I would love to go right back to the very beginning. What is your earliest memory of beauty? Um, I think probably my earliest, earliest was smelling my mum's Arpege, which Mm -hmm. was a really old perfume that she had. She used to wear Arpege and Opium, and I loved those fragrances. Um, And then it was pretty much through magazines. So I was such a giant magazine reader, like all through my teens, even, you know, I would go to the school library and read the American teen magazines and I would read them from cover to cover. So that included all of the beauty. So um, I really just knew so much stuff and I didn't realise that other people didn't know that. It was just because I read so much. So there was a lot of a lot of background knowledge going on. And what did you want to be when you grew up? Was being a writer always the dream, particularly with that love for magazines? Yeah, I kind of, because I loved magazines so much, I decided in high school that I just wanted to be a journalist um and that just became the goal so it wasn't I really didn't care whether I ended up working in magazines or on radio or whatever it was like that didn't bother me but I was like okay I'm a great writer I could do this if I if I really work hard at it and it it is hard work to get there but yeah well on that you did spend over two decades in fashion and beauty media how did you get there how did you make that happen what did you study did you intern What advice can you give to anyone listening who might be wanting a career in media themselves? 
Yeah, um, I did communications at uni um, and then through uni I did as much free work as I could. So just anywhere, like local newspapers, the uni newspaper, just whatever I could do. Like I just volunteered for so many different tiny publications. Um, and then after uni I went travelling and then when I came back I thought, right, I'm not going to take like a job that I'm going to get stuck in just because it's comfortable. Like I'm not going to take not the right job for me. I just wanted the right job for where I wanted to go. So I knew that if I just took something just to get a job, I might get comfortable, you know, they're paying you and, you know, suddenly you've got a career and, you know, 10 years later and you've got a career in something else that you didn't, you didn't mean to do. So um, I purposely just held out and I got a job at a business magazine um, and then that led to my first job at Girlfriend Magazine, which was so great. I was a junior writer and I loved it. <laughs> when you were, I mean, pre-girlfriend, was fashion and beauty always kind of the area that you wanted to move into? I know that you've said you just wanted to be a journalist, no specific area of expertise, if you will. But at that point, were you like, okay, this is the direction I want to head? No, no, definitely not. I just wanted to be a journalist and I actually just got thrown into beauty because my editor decided that I should be a beauty editor. So, um, What a problem to have. Yeah, yeah. I always made sure that even when I was writing beauty, I was also doing features Mm -hmm. um, because I just was so interested in everything and I found that that was the most interesting part of my job, learning about so many different you know, areas and interviewing people and, and just, yeah, it's, it's all learning, isn't it? So I just found that really, really interesting. Um, and I kept on doing that all the way through. At what point did you feel as though beauty and fashion and that side of things became the thing that you were known for? And did you find that you fell more in love with it as time went on? I did fall more in love with it as time went on. I think um, it definitely, you know, it's very hard to resist, I think, um, when you're in that world because it's such a fab world to be in. And I just became, you know, really well-versed in in writing about fashion and, and writing about beauty. And I was always really curious about things and I always loved doing the research and loved talking to the people behind the products and always, you know, really loved digging deeper so and I think you can dig deeper with those things um but yeah it wasn't intentional at all to fall into fashion and beauty well I've got to do the resume because fall into it you did so you were a girlfriend from I think 95 to 98 working as it was beauty and features then beauty editor then features editor subsequently deputy editor no Deputy at Cosmopolitan from 98 to 2003. Yeah, so I was beauty editor at Cosmo as well and features yeah. editor at Cosmo and then deputy at Cosmo. Yeah. Then editor at Clio for yeah. the five years that followed. Yeah. I mean, I have a few questions about this time, <laughs> as you can imagine. Firstly, were there any lessons that you picked up in that time that you find you're still applying to your work now as a business owner? Yes, definitely. I mean, I think because I started out as a journalist and it was always about the writing for me, but working in magazines, it's so visual and everything, you know, is is about looking at images and choosing the right images and styling and all of that. And I found that I loved that just as much as the writing side and I could be just as creative 
doing this visual side as I could you could with the words so that really appealed um and that's something that I've definitely brought with me because you know as you know we just live in such a visual world right now and everything is about creating content and making it as visual as possible so I think that's a really big thing to have brought with me um to this brand new career <laughs> and I guess a work ethic as well because it was just a lot of hours and you, you put in a lot for your job so I think uh, I'm definitely I'm good at that yeah <laughs> another question on that time aside from that obvious shift that we've seen from print to digital how would you say the fashion and beauty media landscape has changed since then has the content that people are asking for changed is it cyclical or have elements of it remained the same do you know what? What people want is pretty much exactly the same. There you go. It's really, yeah, because I remember doing this like so many years ago and you're just giving people the same information, but they're just getting it in a different way. So, it, you know, young girls will still want to know how to apply their makeup and older women will want to know more about relationships or friendships. And like, you know, it's it's just, it is cyclical and um, yeah, it's pretty much the same content. It's just delivered in a much snappier, more visual form and, and you know, much more easier to digest and people's attention spans are shorter and you have to accommodate mm. for that. And, you know, it's just, yeah, making the content work for the current environment. I refuse to accommodate for it. I'm doing long form <laughs> interviews forever and there's nothing anyone can do about it. I love it. Simple as that. You continued to work as a journalist and an editor right up to 2018 when you left your role as national editor of Good Food, which is when you launched Recreation Beauty the following January, I think it was. But at what point along that timeline had you started to think about creating your own brand? Oh, so I was working on recreation for a good two years before mm -hmm. launch. Um, and yep, I was working at Fairfax before that. And I just kind of looked around and I'd done so much in media and I, I could have stayed there and, and had a lovely little cushy kind of next 20 years kind of thing. <laughs> but I just remember looking around and thinking, okay, I could sit here and you know, do the same thing for the next 20 years that I've done for the last 20 years, or I could go and do something different. And it was kind of a now or never moment. I was like, you know, I'm getting older. Like, I'm not going to launch a brand in 10 years, you know, I'm, oh, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it now. So, um, yeah, there was a, a lot of work behind the scenes before we launched. Leading up to that now or never moment, was this something you'd ever seen yourself doing? I know that you'd founded Coco Lee back in 2008, yeah. which was a digital yeah. fashion destination. So, of course, you had sat at the helm of a business before, but had you ever seen yourself creating a physical product? I think after Coco Lee because we were selling other people's products and we were reliant on other people's products and after that experience I always wanted to create my own brand. So, um I needed a little break after that. Having your own business, it's quite hectic and really full on. Um, so I had my break and I went back to journalism and did, you know, had those jobs at Fairfax. Um, and then I started to think about which product I wanted to launch because, yeah, it was something that I'd always wanted to do and 
I just needed a new challenge. So talk me through what set the wheels in motion for Recreation Beauty. I understand that you were struggling to conceive and the idea grew from that experience, but was there any one particular light bulb moment when you thought, this is it, this is the specific thing that I'm going to create? So, um, yeah, so I did all kind of um I just went clean with my makeup and and beauty products and um household products about I hate to say it but it's now about 14 years ago um, and it was so long ago but when I did it it was such a long time ago there was you know it, very limited amounts of what you mm. could buy right like I was jojoba oil for a first cleanse and a moisturizer and you know it there wasn't much around and but there was there was skincare like really simple skincare nothing as sophisticated as what we've seen now in the clean beauty space um but there was definitely no perfume so literally zero unless you wanted to go to the markets and buy a little patchouli or a mm. vanilla kind of thing to roll on your wrists. Um, so I knew that there was this opportunity because I just stopped using perfume. I, I just stopped using it. And it's fine for a few years and then you just really miss it, especially me having come from that background and I was all about my beauty products. And I just don't think that you should have to compromise when it comes to you know, your beauty products anymore because we've come a long way in science and we can do things that we weren't able to do before. And um, I just thought that there was this opportunity for a luxury, clean fragrance um, because there were barely any brands doing it. And it was something that I wanted. And I know from speaking to other people that other people wanted it too. So um, I just started to investigate whether it was even possible because, you know, we're in Australia. It's not exactly mm. known for being a fragrance capital. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it was just basically a step-by-step process where I thought, I'll just see if I can do it. Maybe I can, maybe I can't. And I kind of just went step-by-step. And then I'd get a little bit further and go, oh, I can do this. And then I'd do that. And then, oh, I can do this. And so I, I just got, a, you know, kind of hodge, hodgepodged it together until it became a brand. Well, I would love to hear more about the step-by-step. Step. It's one thing to have the idea, but then how did you go about finding a manufacturer or a chemist? How did you go about sourcing the packaging, funding the business, all of these steps that go into physically launching a brand? Yeah, well, it was self-funded, so that was a big deal, first of all. So I knew mm. they'd have, you know, loads of money to yeah. kind of dump into it. Um, and so I did it with that. That really formed your outset because you're like, okay, I've got a limited budget here. What can I do with this budget? And that's why it was step-by-step step, because it was literally like, uh, I need to find a perfumer. I need to get the packaging sorted. I need to you know, develop these products. And that was the first and foremost, you know, thing that was obviously the most important to make sure I could get the products right. And I thought, even if I can just get one off the ground, I'll, I'll just see if I can do that. Um, and finding a perfumer is really hard when you're in little old Australia and mm. everyone else is overseas. Um, but there are some internationals here, which is great. So um, we, I found two great fragrance houses to work with. Um and then packaging was probably like it was hard, but it, it just took a long time, I think, to land on the thing because that I, I really wanted the packaging to be as special as the fragrance. 
So, um, but again, it was a step-by-step -step and there was a limited budget and it wasn't like we're splashing out on this and then we can do this great big marketing campaign to start and all of that. Like it, it was, um, it was very considered. And that was about two years, you said? Yeah, that, that development process took about two years. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine that a fairly large percentage of that time was spent honing all of these sustainability initiatives that you have in place for the brand. I've read that even the mould that you use is made from a sustainable bamboo, which is a world first. I would love to hear more about that, but more about the other sustainability practices that you have in place. Yeah, so that was really important to me. And I think when you're launching a brand and you're literally ordering thousands of you know one thing I just I just thought oh my god I can't order this in plastic like or have any kind of plastic because then that's literally just me polluting the environment you know when you could take another option and it does cost a bit more and it is a bit harder but that's also um, an advantage of starting out on your own and you can do what is important to you um, and share that with the world and then hope other people do it as well. Um, so that was really important to me to make sure our packaging was sustainable. The bamboo mould is new. We did have, it was a um, like a folded cardboard, very complicated, annoying thing to fold. <laughs> we did that for a few years. And I, it took me so long to source somebody who would make this bamboo mould. Um, and I finally found somebody. And so we launched that last year, which is amazing. So um, we're really proud of that one. And then, you know, going forward, I don't think like we'll never do anything that just has regular plastic and we don't have you know, single-use package, single-use plastic around our perfumes. Um, there's just no unnecessary stuff that comes with your beauty products. Everything, mm. all of our extra information is online uh, and we really try and pair that back. The brand's vegan as well. Why was that so important to you? Yeah, I'm not vegan. Um, <laughs> I was vegetarian maybe in, in my 20s for a good nine years, but um, now I'm not. I eat meat. Uh, I just... I think there's a bit of a fine line. Well, it's not fine. I think there's a bit of a line between eating something for a sustenance and I believe in we're all a big ecosystem and big animal, eat smaller animal, et cetera. Um, but I, I'm going to draw the line at using animal products to make myself feel beautiful. I just I just don't think that that's um, the way forward. Mm. Well, I think, I mean, I, I was mentioning this to my partner when I was telling him about who I was interviewing today and he's like, oh, vegan fragrance I would never have thought that a perfume is not vegan and I'm like oh yeah. oh sweetie yeah mm. lots of things yeah I mean and I guess that's also a, a sign of how far we've come with beauty in that there are non-animal materials that we can use to make similar sense so that's good news yeah from my perspective as a consumer of the brand you're very famous for these luxury natural perfumes but recreation also creates a number of face body and hair oils and serums why the decision to launch across multiple categories and was that always part of the plan um it was always part of the plan actually the oils especially so I've got really oily skin and my whole life I've avoided any products with oils so mm -hmm. like 
obviously a face moisturizer I would I would always get the oil free oil free cleanser oil free foundation oil free blush and bronzer and I would just be absolutely militant about it and then I think maybe in my 30s I oh I, it must have been when I discovered clean beauty because that's when I started using her oil. yeah I was about <laughs> and, to say so much of that would have been oil at the time there wouldn't have been a lot of yeah, choice yes exactly so I started using it and oh my god my skin just literally said thank you like it had just been craving this oil the whole time and it really opened my eyes to what oils could do and it was something because I'd shunned it for all of my life I was so grateful to have found this and I thought it, uh, again, the the oils that were on offer were really kind of basic, mm. um, and I knew that I could refine them because I I would I remember first going and I thought oh, I'll just put almond oil on my legs. That's a great idea, and I'd go and buy this almond oil, and it was just greasy and you know like not a pleasant experience. Mm. Um, so I knew that that could be done better, um, and that's what we did with our body and hair serum oils. And then the face oil I'd always wanted to do because I definitely knew that the face oils were going to be big because they they really supplement a beauty routine perfectly. Yeah. I am fascinated by the process of scent development. How does that process work for you and your perfumers? Are you beginning with, say, a singular note that you want to then extend or build on? Are you starting with like a feeling or a scene and trying to bring that to life. I know some brands begin with a color or kind of a mood board. Where does it begin for you? Um, for me, it always starts with um, a feeling. So our fragrances are based around feelings. Um, for example, I wanted a perfume that would bring that feeling of freedom. And to me, that is um you know, when it's the end of winter and you're emerging into spring and it's like you can take your coat off and you can get out there and really experience the world. That's the kind of feeling I wanted to encapsulate. And to me, that was, and also I, I'm obsessed with gardenia and jasmine. And so I wanted to bring that all together into a fragrance and that became this love of mine, mm-hmm. um, which wasn't one that we launched with but it was one that we brought out after that. Um, And then I also, I I work with the perfumers in the way that I try and get across a a bunch of of what I'm thinking. So it's mood boards and for at night we dance. That's my favourite. Oh, Oh, cool. Yeah, (laughs) I love that one. Yeah. So for that it was, you know, hot summer nights kind of, a bit sweaty skin, um, lots of colour, lots of big jewellery, you know, something like it was just a really vibrant kind of of mood board. And um, then I meet with a perfumer and we chat about it and then they go away and do their thing and come back. And it's just a back and forth process basically of me giving feedback and, and them kind of working, trying to turn that feedback into the perfume. Oh, I love it. that There's something about the process of developing scent that is just oh I love it from a a brand perspective this might be a a tricky one to answer but what sells a fragrance are there any specific notes or rather a combination of notes that you find consumers are just always drawn to yeah I think that people love smelling 
things that they remember. So Mm -hmm. they love smelling familiar scents Mm -hmm. and they love, um, you know, really being able to pick up the notes in a fragrance. And I think think everyone feels a bit chuffed if they're like, oh, it is Jasmine. Yeah, I can smell it kind of thing, you know. Um, So there's that. And then there's also that animal instinct, which is why, so many of those ingredients did come from animals because Mm. we're naturally drawn to those ingredients and we're naturally kind of um you know the musks and the the deep kind of sense that really get to you it's like a primal feeling so so there that is something that consumers really love as much as I love the behind the scenes of it all it would be remiss of me not to ask a few fragrance consumer specific questions firstly is there a trick to getting scent to last on the skin yes well it it, it's um it depends on your skin type Mm -hmm. and fragrance is attracted to oil so which is another reason that we developed the oils because Mm -hmm fragrance will last longer if it's on moisturized skin so i would always suggest putting an oil on um, or a moisturizer on beforehand that went with your fragrance or if not then like a non-scented one um, and always put it on before you apply a perfume Um, and then it also depends on where you spray it because uh, if you spray it too much around your head and your ears your brain can get overstimulated and it can stop smelling after a while so if you spray it more down your body like on your solar plexus um just just around here it'll actually waft up so Mm. that's a nice way to smell it oh that's a hot tip why is it that the same fragrance can wear slightly differently from person to person because we all have different kinds of oils in our skin. So the oily the skin, the more the fragrance, or well, the different the fragrance will stick differently. And it's also, I think I've read, got to do with your pH balance as well. So um, people with acidic skins need a higher concentration of perfume. And I mean, how do you know if your skin's acidic or, or not? <laughs> you just don't. <laughs> It's just trial and error, I think. Yeah, trial and error <laughs> to see what suits you. And also it's the it's the kind of notes um, that you're investing in as well. So, mm. yeah, you basically just have to keep trying until you find one that suits your particular body chemistry. Well, it's on great, that. Because we're all unique. Yeah. yeah. I, you've given me a really nice segue. What would your advice be to anyone who is searching for a signature scent? How do we know when we've found the one? Yeah, basically it's trial and error, isn't it? To search for something that um, you love. For me personally, I'm really attracted to top notes. Like I I get obsessed with that first kind of, you know, that heady kind of whiff mm-hmm. of, of the top notes and other people are more attracted to the base notes. So whatever, you know, floats your boat, you go for that. Um, I mean, I'm not a signature scent perfume, maybe because I've got a perfume brand, but I love a scent wardrobe. So me too. I I just change perfumes with my mood, basically. So if I'm feeling super excited, I'll go for our, it's a fig citrus. It's a really uplifting kind of fragrance. Um, Sunkissed, or if I'm going out on a date night, it's at night we dance. Um, It just depends on what I'm feeling at the time. I'm exactly the same. When I'm 
on the other side being interviewed and someone says, what's your signature scent? I don't think I've given the same answer twice because I just, yeah, right. <laughs> it depends. I don't know, guys, I'm making yeah. up a different signature every time. Who knows? Yeah. I don't think we have to have a signature. I think we should be able to change things according to our mood because how many moods do we have? Lots. Mm, yeah, my fiance will attest yeah. to that. Recreation yeah. Beauty is, of course, sold via your website, but it's also found in bricks and mortar boutiques around the country as well as on Adore Beauty. I wanted to ask you about this. Was the plan always to wholesale and be stocked elsewhere rather than being exclusively direct to consumer? It wasn't actually. Um, the plan was to be direct to consumer. Uh, we looked at a few different models um, and the Glossier model really appealed to us. It's yeah. about just having that. It's about having, I guess, a certain control over your brand and how that was just really important to, to me in the beginning, um, you know, to be able to control how your brand uh, kind of got sold and mm who it went to and how you were marketing it and all that kind of thing, which you lose when you go wholesale. Um, but I feel like we're established enough that um, it's great to be able to go into a fabulous retailer like a door now. I think that it, it's that time for us. So, yeah, that was why we made that decision. And what advice can you give to anyone who has created a physical product, whether that's in beauty or another sphere, and they are hoping to get it in front of the buyers at a major retailer, in this instance, a door, but how do they do it? I think be persistent is mm -hmm. key. Uh, it's another thing I learned from magazines. Um, <laughs> be persistent, don't give up, and also think about the um, your USP. Like what is your mm. USP and what are you offering that's different to anything else in their lineup? Do you have anything that's different to anything else in their lineup? Like what is what are you offering them? So you need to think about how you can help them basically. You have been a part of the beauty industry for close to three decades now, which looking at you simply doesn't make sense. But over the last, let's say, five to ten years, what have been some of the biggest changes that you have seen within the beauty industry? Um, definitely the shift to kind of cleaner, greener, more sustainable practices and products. Um, there's just been such an influx in the last ten years. It's great to see and hopefully the big players will follow suit. Um, and also I think there's been a shift in the consumer because people have just gotten smarter. Like mm. they've got access to all of this information. It's not about, you know, go and buy a moisturiser, slap it on and have no idea what's in there. That just doesn't happen anymore. Everyone knows the percentage of your vitamin C, how much bacuchiol is in something that, mm. you know, everyone has such detail on these things now. And I think that brands have definitely had to adapt to that. They've had to be more transparent. It's not about this mystery, um, you know, beauty products used to be so mysterious. It was like magic cream, we'll call it magic and no one knows what's in it and God knows what was in it, right? <laughs> um, so I think that's definitely changed. And what changes do you think we can expect to see over the next few years? Um, I think that will continue. So people will continue to demand um, more from their products. And I think that will bring about um, just more science-backed, you know, really kind of science-forward-led products. 
um, I think that demand will be there. And I think that is one of the biggest trends. And also probably, you know, people are really looking for more personalization. So um, anything that brands can do to kind of bring in that personalization factor is going to be key. My final question, what is next for Recreation Beauty? Oh, okay. We've got so much um, coming up, which is exciting. We have a new fragrance coming out and we've got a few other new products that um, they're in the same category, but they're not particularly like it's not a perfume, um, but they're, you know, in that same category. So Mm -hmm. that's exciting. I can't wait. And, you know, these things just take a little bit of time have to be patient I've learned with the brand things don't happen instantly as much as Instagram makes you think that they do they don't yeah (laughs) um yeah so that's all exciting news that was Nadal Stelio founder of Recreation Beauty which you can find on Instagram at Recreation Beauty to read more you can visit glowjournal.com And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at jemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. The Glow Journal podcast would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced. We pay our respects to Elders past and present.